Hello and welcome to another episode of this podcast. We are celebrating the 20th anniversary of Memory Alpha, the wiki for Star Trek fans and enthusiasts. And today on the show, we have me and Jan, as always, and our guest star, Jörg Hillebrand. Jan, maybe you can take it from here. Yeah, so today's guest is Jörg Hillebrand. He is well known in the uh, Memory Alpha community, probably for his amazing um, 18,000 contributions. Okay. And um, he has written uh, several articles on ex Astris Scientia. And those who like uh, Twitter can also follow there and have a nice reminder of what uh, the new Star Trek brings uh, to you. Also the old, because I'm also writing about TNG at the moment. So And uh, yeah, even though um, all all of us are German, we will talk all in English. Uh, and uh, so this gives a great opportunity for um, all our English um, participants uh, to learn about the correct pronunciation of the name Jörg. Rhymes with Kirk. <laughs> Rhymes with Kirk, yeah. yeah. Not with Borg. <laughs> in our opinion, York had a major influence in the development of Memory Alpha with multiple contributions of especially screenshots, but also background research. And uh, recently, um, he also uh, had a credit in the uh, Star Trek Picard production as research assistant. And uh, with this, I want to hand over to York himself and uh, start with a few introductional questions. Um, sure. Yeah, please uh, name your favorite Star Trek ship, your favorite Star Trek planet, and a favorite guest star or pilot Hamsman. I think my favorite ship, well, I don't have to think about that. My favorite ship is the Enterprise D. I mean, Star Trek TNG is my Star Trek show. Uh, it was the first ship I ever owned because I built the model. It hung in my bedroom for I don't know how long. And uh, I, I think I recently wrote on Twitter, when I dream of Star Trek, I wake up on the Enterprise. So when I do have uh, dreams that uh, feature Star Trek is always the Enterprise D. So that is my ship. Planet, I guess it has to be some kind of snowy, cold planet. Uh, Endor. Okay, then it would be Endor. I don't like summer. I'm a winter person. And uh, so I thought about Risa, but no, that's way too warm and beaches. I don't like those kind of things. So I guess Ender would be my planet. And the third question, my favorite guest star, I think I liked Vash a lot on uh, TNG and her two TNG episodes and her uh, Deep Space Nine episodes. So those would be my answers. And I have a uh, special question. What is your favorite background alien? There's this one background alien that never made it into Star Trek episode. And I've searched for it for, I don't know how long. And, you know, I go through the episodes really... I mean, thoroughly and look for everything. And I never found it. And it turns out I recently learned, um, like a few months ago, it only showed up in a, in one of the Star Trek games. I think one of the Klingon games, you know, the game where you have to play a Klingon in the Klingon Academy or something. I forgot the name of the, the game. And it's an alien that is pink and it has eight eyes. So the, I think the, um, uh, first two eyes, then the second uh, two eyes, the second row is like the real eyes and then two more eyes and two more eyes. And that is so absurd. And uh, it, it showed up in some Star Trek books in the background behind Michael Westmore, um, showing his, you know, where he was working. And I always wanted to find out where it was seen. So um, for the last 20 years or so. And half, about half a year ago, I found this video and found it finally. I think I wrote on it on Twitter also. So that must be my favorite background alien because it's so obscure. Maybe, maybe I'm on the uh, star contrast with the planets because I uh, would favor Risa actually. Not because it's so warm, but because on Risa there are the most embarrassing moments for Captain Picard. W what is the name of this uh, little statue he should oh, yeah. get for? Okay, yes, yeah. that's, that's the thing. There's one on the table standing there. <laughs> <laughs> you have oh. a Hogan in your room. Yes. Oh, no. In my living room. Oh, no. In my living room. Okay. <laughs> and uh, favorite ship? Um, what's what's the actual name for the future Enterprise we see in All Good Things? So the last episode of TNG, the uh, Enterprise with the uh, three nacelles. Uh, is it future Enterprise or uh, d does it have a special designation? I'm not aware of any name. It's just the future Enterprise D, I guess. So. I think at one moment uh, it was called the Dreadnought uh, configuration yeah. because of the three nacelles. So you uh, still owe one question about the favorite guest star. Ah, I totally forgot. Yeah. Um, what about um, Reginald Barclay? Mm. The Very good. Com 
the uh, comedic factor in uh, Next Generation, but he is not only a comic, but also a tragical uh, character. I like it very much. And I was excited to see him back in, I think Voyager was it, is it? Yeah, yeah. Voyager. Uh, he was sent uh, there uh, through a hologram, maybe? I don't remember clearly. Different different appearances, yeah. I mean, remember watching the episode, and of course I watched it in German first, where he's called Broccoli, and I was like, why do they call him Broccoli? What, what a strange name. Mr. Broccoli didn't make any sense to me. It didn't sound anything like Barclay. But then I watched it, I guess, on Dutch television for the first time in English, and then I realized how close Broccoli and Barclay are. So I finally got finally got the joke a few years later. I think uh, I still need to name my favorite uh, Star Trek ship. Uh, this uh, would also be the Enterprise D. It was uh, what was starting me all. For the favorite planet, I would say Kronos, because I actually played this game. I think it was Klingon Honor Guard. It, mm -hmm. If this is the same same game, because it also had uh, live action um, episodes, I think. Yeah. My favorite um, pilot is Tom Paris. Favorite background alien, I think uh, this is uh, the Ariolo, originally from the fourth movie and then later also shown in Lower Decks in the background. I love that. I absolutely love that. Yeah. Because um, it's four-legged also. On, on, yes, uh, exactly. They, they are completely different. And, uh, yeah. 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 Okay. Mm -hmm. So, uh, another question here for you, Jörg. Mm -hmm. Why Star Trek? What do you think is the beauty in uh, the Star Trek universe? Definitely gives me hope for the future and shows that people, uh, no matter how different they are, can work together and achieve something together. There are so many episodes that make me smile and laugh. When I'm sad, I always watch Data's Day because I know when, when the camera pans and then Data is turning around and having this crazy smiling face when he's dancing on the holodeck, that always makes me really happy. And sometimes I just need to watch something that makes me sad or that makes me cry. So then I watch The Inner Light or The Offspring, which I just watched like two days ago, I think. The Visitor, you know, those episodes that kind of make you uh, sad because I think it's kind of catharsis, you know, I learned about this at school ages ago. Um, when you, you yeah, <laughs> but I think it, it really works because when you, so many things are happening and you, you have no time to kind of mentally process what is happening. And then you, when you watch this episode and you feel really sad and you cry, it all comes out. So, um, yeah, I guess that makes me really uh, happy, uh, that Star Trek uh, works that way. Also, Star Trek makes me think. There are so many things I learned because of Star Trek. My interest in Shakespeare, in classical music, uh, astronomy, it all came with Star Trek. I'm an English teacher and a biology teacher because of Star Trek, because I know that um, when I saw this on television, I really got interested in in uh, those subjects. Also because when I was in year nine or 10, I hated having to wait so long for the, for the Star Trek books um, to finally be translated into German. So I guess, I think I was in year 10 when I bought uh, Michael Kudas and Denise Okuda's uh, Star Trek Encyclopedia, the first English book I read in my life and basically started to read it and translate the words I didn't know with a dictionary. And you can really take, you can see it in the book, the first pages, uh, many, uh, many uh, words um, written down with pencil so I could understand um, uh, what was written in the text. And, you know, the further you go in the book, um, the little I had to write down, and in the end, I understood everything. So that is why Star Trek means a lot to me. And also because I like to research uh, Star Trek so much and really gives me pleasure to write articles about obscure background aliens or how planets changed over the time or how sets were reused. It's just, I mean, it's just so entertaining for me um, because I like to do stuff like that, categorize things. And I'm a very visual person and Star Trek offers many visual things that I really enjoy. So, you know, it has many reasons why it personally touched me and continues to do so. I think for me, the first English book also was the Encyclopedia. And I uh, remember even making remarks where something was wrong or not not so correct or not complete enough for me. Yeah. And uh, so I bookmarked the pages. I read this Encyclopedia to, to its death, actually. Yes, bits and pieces. Me too. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, uh, somehow I never realized that there was a second or third edition. 
Yeah, second, a third, and a fourth edition, but you cannot get the fourth edition anymore, which has two volumes because, I don't know, they did just didn't print enough, I guess. So I'm really lucky that I bought this one, even though it was so expensive. And I use it all the time, uh, even still now. You know, um, in the latest episode in the Daystrom station where they find something behind a door and the camera lingers on this interface they have on the door and the text that you can read there is uh, was taken from the Star Trek Encyclopedia. So I checked that out to confirm what was changed and what was the same. So that is why I, I needed that book. And it's different in the fourth edition, I think, or slightly different. That is why I still use the encyclopedia all the time. Yeah, I think you also. I think you also mentioned um, that one of the screenshots of a, of a ship was was taken there and uh, flipped vertically, just like in one of the editions. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, one of the um, the Jamada battle or battleship or something. Yeah, they took that from the second and third version. This has been fixed in the fourth version, but in the second and third, it's flipped. Right. Yeah. So for that, I also needed the, the encyclopedia. <laughs> and memory alpha. I have to say that. Memory Alpha listed uh, in uh, that episode um, trivia section uh, that it had been taken from Ex Astrix Scientia. And I thought like, hmm, no, 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 it's from somewhere else. So I fixed <laughs> that on Memory Alpha, actually, because it also said that it, it was wrong and it was taken from Bernd Schneider's side. And it was like, no, 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 this is from Michael Kuda's encyclopedia. So be careful what you're saying and writing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, you already mentioned Dex Asher Scientia and Bernd Schneider. Uh, when did you and Bernd first get in contact? I think, you know, I, I've been reading um, Ex Asher Scientia for ages, and he wrote something about the Kazon ships. And I knew that there were two sizes of Kazon ships, the smaller um, fighter and the larger raider. So I assembled some screenshots. Okay, this must have been when Voyager had already been released on DVD. I took some screenshots and sent him, you know, proof, <laughs> basically, and he included that into his uh, into the article. I think either there already was an article or he started an article after that about the Kazon Kazon ship sizes. I don't know. And then I told him I had more ideas and you know more screenshots, and then I started uh, writing more and more articles and. Uh, you know, sending him screenshots of new starships I had found somewhere in the background. And I've never met him in person. I've never, you know, heard his voice. We've never been on the phone. We kind of had planned to meet at the FATCON, I think it was, or maybe Destination Dortmund or something um, in 2020. But then uh, COVID happened. So, you know, I, I never met him uh, because nothing really happened that year. And, uh, well, Bernd was the one who told me, hmm, you should actually also start working uh, on Memory Alpha. And I don't think at that time I really knew what Memory Alpha was. I, I mean, back then I didn't really use it that much because for my research, I was relying on my screenshots, my screenshot database. And while well, he told me about it and I saw what it was and I saw that there were so many articles without photos or screenshots. <clears throat> yeah, I need to confess, I had a look at your contributions and saw that in uh, the September 2005, you added first images there. Actually, you started adding images until five in the morning. You started at six in the evening and then contributed uploading images, 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 images. No, it's totally possible because I think that I was still a student back then and it was in my um, fall break and uh, I had to actually had to learn for some tests i think so it's very possible that i was up that late because you know because i couldn't sleep so i wanted to do something and that is how uh, you know i started it and if you take a look i i, I checked this also uh, yesterday um, because i remember somebody on memory alpha telling me oh so you're doing it alphabetically because you can see that i begin with alpha something some planet uh, images and then it, it goes like um, up the alphabet and then later i realized okay maybe i can just focus on this topic now and that topic now and uh, but i started with a <laughs> i i had a look you actually started with numbers so you uploaded a picture of 602 club from uh enterprise oh yeah right yeah that makes also makes yeah <laughs> oh goodness yeah yeah and uh, how do you see uh memory alpha and x asteris um, play together so do you think them as complementary competition or no absolutely no competition um, I remember that sometimes when people started writing kind of small articles for Memory Alpha, where um, the admin said, this is original research, you can't do that here, it has to, you know, we can't, we can't use that here, or maybe it includes opinions. And um, that is something that you can find at Ex Astro Ciencia, I guess. And there are some articles that started at Memory Alpha and that were kind of 
ported to Exasis, or uh, I think there was a, an extensive article on NASA in Star Trek that couldn't be as extensive as it was meant to be. So, you know, Bernd also said, oh, we can we can put it up here and take it here. So um, that is how it ended up at Exasis Exientia uh, also. So absolutely no competition at all. And I use both sides all the time to look for information when I want to research something, but also my own screenshots, um, you know, to, to get the whole picture of what different people might have found in the episodes. So they work, they complement each other nicely, I think. Um, can you tell me more about Ex Astris? Because uh, it's a very complex website. They have uh, very different sections. Uh, is there a favorite section you are working on? Or uh, can, can you tell me a little bit about the details, maybe? I What I do is I write my articles, uh, send everything to Bernd. Sometimes I write stuff in German, sometimes in English. And then he, you know, he uploads everything and turns it into a nice... Uh, article that you can use on the internet, uh, correct some of my English mistakes and, uh, um, you know, fix it, it, fixes everything up. My favorite section, I would say, is the Starship database. I'm interested in Starships, obviously. And that was the first thing I found uh, on his site um, and where I, I think contri contributed a lot to because I remember finding Starships and episodes that had not been written about any place else and telling them about it. And then he included the ships. I also like use all the time the section with the observations articles I wrote on uh, the first six seasons on, on TNG, uh, of TNG when they were remastered. So I really like that section. I know that, you know, there's so much at Ex Astro Ciencia and there's something for everybody. Um, there are some articles Bernd has written that I've never read because they just don't interest me. And, uh, you know, that's the thing. I'm sure that there are others that are really interested in um, some of his ideas or some articles researched by other people. You know, I like all the articles that deal with prop reuses and uh, where something was seen in, in the real world or sourced from in, in the real world or maybe in other TV shows. And uh, But I think my most favorite subject are the, oh yeah, the, the, the articles. Well, <laughs> I wrote some of those articles, but that deal with that deal with how Starship models were reused over the time. So that was so much fun enjoying that. I remember when I started like doing real Star Trek research um, and Star Trek had not been released on DVD yet, I actually used my camera to take photos of the screen, no digital camera. So I had to wait, I had to wait like for, for, I don't know, several days until I got the photos back just because I wanted to find out if those Starships really kind of looked similar or looked the same. Thankfully, in 2001, or was it, no, 2002, TNG was released on DVD, and that changed everything, obviously, because I could take proper screenshots uh, with uh, my PC or on my PC. Yeah. So, when I understand it correctly, Exastris is not a WordPress blogging system where you can log in with your account and write some articles, but it's an old-fashioned website, which is uh, mainly uh, maintained by Bernd. Absolutely. And, uh, you uh, mail in your contributions and he right. would whatever editorialize it and then uh, publish it. That's it. That's very time consuming, isn't it? For both of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Bernd always says that there are some articles I wrote, some of them 10 years ago that are still in the pipeline that he still has. And sometimes he decides, okay, this is interesting. We should upload this now. Sometimes there's something that I come up with that is, you know, so interesting for both of us that he, that it goes much faster. Sometimes he has more time, less time. So, but that's the way it works. And also with everybody who contributes to, um, ex Ciencia, they send in their, their stuff to Bernd and he does all the work. What do you think are your important books? We were talking about the encyclopedia. What are, uh, other books who, made an impression for you so uh, important books you read over and over again so personally i just read um books that deal with star trek or tell me something about star trek i don't read any novels or uh, actually i i do collect star trek comics but i rarely have time to read them i i do collect um uh non-fiction books non-fiction star trek books i you know i have I don't know how many, but I have, I think nearly all of them. The ones that I, that I really like are that the ones that, well, the chronology, the encyclopedia, the star, star charts and stellar cartography. Um, 
the books that deal with aliens. There was this members is in members of the Federation, I think, uh, from the late uh, late eighties, that deals with you know gave some fictional background to the to to the species that were seen in the first season of TNG and also on TOS. Everything that kind of gives me more information uh, about the planets or aliens or starships. There were these books released by Eagle Moss before they went uh, bankrupt, kind of featured all the starships in the Star Trek universe, and especially the alien ones, which I like more than the Federation ones, actually. So I liked and loved those books and also contributed to them. So basically everything that deals with aliens, planets, um, uh, starships, yeah, those things I like best. And as I said, the encyclopedia and the chronology. Yeah, and only um, when you're speaking of these background books, only the official ones? Or also do you have um, books from FASA, Last Unicorns, or Spaceflight Chronology? I have, I have all the um, um, role-playing game books from all the uh, different companies that um, made the role-playing games because, I mean, it's all completely non-canon, obviously, but it's still interesting to read five pages about beta z or i don't know 10 pages about um the bolian homeworld so um you know i have all those books also and at the beginning i didn't want to to actually buy or read those books because i thought it's it's non-canon canon they have information that is not i mean it's not really in the episodes but then i got the first one was about members of the ufp also i think it was called and i like that it had additional images of a species that might have only been seen in uh, one episode and gave you background information on the Grazerites and the home world and, you know, Yarish Inyo, the Federation president. So I really enjoyed that a lot. And then that is when I bought all the old stuff. And also FASA, obviously, um, the Star Trek IV source book, a source book update. Um, that was a book that I chased down for many years because I knew it had information on all the background aliens and the Federation Council, also the Ariolo. And I mean, that one I really love uh, as well. So, you know, I've got all that stuff. Also, I have books on every imaginable topic you uh, you can think of, uh, um, you know, psychology and philosophy, ethics. Uh, in I Star saw Trek. your book about uh, cooking dishes, yeah. Yes. The, the recipe book. Right. I have that one yeah. too. And the latest one, actually, I like best. I had the other ones also. But those are really things that look yummy and that I want to make. And... Uh, yeah. Like every two weeks or so, I make Romulan uh, flatbread now, and yeah. I'm also going to. <laughs> yeah, I had that book uh, just uh, last weekend in, in the hand in the bookstore, and uh, yeah, have you tried the uh, drink green, extra green? Is it worth it? To be honest, the only thing I've made from this is the Romulan flatbread. Nothing else so far. I might try the green stuff later on. And uh, from from the books you mentioned, um, as you said, you also have um, some that have uh, non-canon background information. Is there anything in there that you would want to see uh, in in the uh, yeah official series, if not just some some background graphics? I mean, one thing that I always wanted to see is the fleet museum, and now we got it. And, you know, there were, for example, images, I think, yeah, there were images in the, uh, ship of the ships of the line calendars that had the fleet museum. Uh, the one we saw finally in, in Star Trek Picard looks different, but this is something that I was really looking forward to that we could finally see that. I'm happy with what we get. Yeah. For me, for example, it was, um, this one background uh, story, the, the drop away line about uh, McCoy's daughter and, uh, that was, oh, and Joanna, exactly. There, there was an entire uh, novel uh, about this. That was, yeah, right, kind of uh, fitting uh, to, to justify. Yes, mm -hmm. nice to see. And yeah, would love to have this added in later episodes or something like this. Maybe in strange new worlds. You, you never know who you're going to meet in later seasons. So who yeah. knows? <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, quite obviously, we see in the background uh, you have some uh, Starship uh, collectibles. Uh, so what what do you have um, there? Any special editions? Something from the set, for example. Well, uh, most of the ships that you see behind me are the Eagle Moss models. Uh, I think I got all of them except for the Star Trek Online ones, um, and now I'm trying to get the ones that you know were released when uh, Eagle Moss went bankrupt and. Uh, I got two of the ships from um, the 32nd century today, which I'm really happy about that I finally got those ships. I think behind me that is, let me see, uh, this one. Can you see this? Okay. Uh, the Vulcan warp sled or warp shuttle. 
This one was used on Star Trek Picard. It's on Geordi's desk. It, it's, it's not actually seen uh, uh, in the episode because they edited it in a way that you couldn't see any of the things that are on his desk. I was given this more than a year ago, or maybe it, I think it was a year ago now, having no clue whose desk it appeared on, um, just giving a, given as a gift. And then, of course, <laughs> you can imagine when I saw the first photos and realized it was on Geordi's desk, I was like, over the moon, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's, a watch, it's a shuttle the, um, disconnectable or is it um, glued together? I don't want to break it apart. It's an old, official prop. No, I mean, the uh, one of the cells always comes up, oh. uh, comes off. Uh, but no, no, it's glued together. So you can't really, uh, you can't really take it off. And I never had this, uh, I never had this model kit as a kid. Um, but I wrote an, I didn't write an article, but I, uh, you know, I did some, um, writing about all the other occasions when this model was used on screen. It was in Wesley's quarters and the Dolphin, and it was in season one in several guest quarters, Admiral Mark Jameson's guest quarters, for example. Um, so, you know, I, I really love that. And somewhere, there's an Enterprise somewhere here. Did I put it away? Um, can you tell me more about the book I see? It looks uh, ancient. This one? Yeah. That's just... Um, Uh, Picard's book that he has in one of the four books that he has in his ready room on TNG. It's well, it's not the original, obviously, but I, you know, I uh, managed to find out the right edition, and it's always open to some page that is also seen uh, in a TNG episode. I wrote a really long article about this, tracing down all the pages that had been seen on screen for X Asphalt. This was before the Blu-ray release, so it was really using the DVD screenshots to find out which pages this was. Uh, involved squinting of the eyes and when star trek Picard on the first when the first uh, episode of the first season was released and i watched it like in the middle of the night there was the scene in the archive where you see that book and uh, i was able to make out um, the page they had opened for the episode so that made me really happy that they managed to find the right book also for that scene and then i realized okay this is going to be fun this is going to be good and that is when i Started, you know, I, I wrote the observations articles at X Astrociencia for TNG and also for the first season of Picard. So that shows how much I liked what I was seeing. And uh, yeah, that's the book. If there's anything that you uh, could grab from the, uh, the set, what would it be? I really liked, I really liked a, an Elka screen that was seen uh, in several TNG episodes because. At the beginning, I had no clue what it was. It was like um, it showed some creatures, some fish or something, and uh, how they evolved uh, on planet Denkia 4, I think it was. But you never saw any of that. I was just, I found it interesting, and I kind of had a hunch what it might be. And it was seen in several TNG episodes and also one DS9 episode in the classroom or in the schoolroom, I think. And later it was sold online. You know, it never occurred to me to, to actually bid for it or buy it, but I could get a close look at it. And it shows the evolution of the aquatic animals on that planet. And because I'm a biology teacher, I always was fascinated by that. And I know that uh, it was made by Rick Sternbach and he included many in-jokes. And uh, yeah, I would really love to get a good look at that one day. That yeah. reminds me of the Humu Humu Nuku Nuku Apua. Uh, that's <laughs> the Hawaiian fish in the TNG classroom. And, rascals, and yeah. that was uh, my, my funniest article I could find in the encyclopedia because I found yeah. the, the name obviously funny. Yes, me too. Yeah, I remember that. Humu Humu Nuku Nuku Apua. I have no idea how to say it in English, but you know, I, this kind of, I remember it, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so um, you also had contact with the production staff, um, evidently. So um, before we go to the uh, Star Trek hard times, um, did in the past, and uh, did you also contact um, official persons who were involved? Um, you mentioned Rick, Michael Kuda, for example. Um, so absolutely, um, I'm in contact. I was in contact. I still am in contact. When I have questions, for example, with Michael Kuda, Rick Sternbach. John Eves has become a friend. Doug Drexler, I think I was in contact with. Uh, um, Jeff Mandel, obviously. Uh, Dan Curry, I think I sent him some emails when I had some questions about his things. Andy Probert also. So there are some I managed to find on the internet. The first one, the first one was Michael Kuda, definitely. And he was, mm. he's al has always been the kindest, most helpful person you can imagine, all of them. Um, you know, Michael Kuda even helped me on a school project once. Do you want to hear that story? Yeah. 
Yes, okay. of course. <laughs> so I was, yeah, I was, uh, this, this is like, how long is that ago? 2008, it must be, when I was a, I have no idea what this is called in English, ein Referendar, a teacher in training, I guess. Or, uh, well, when I was learning to be a teacher, which works completely different from the way it does in America. And uh, at the end, you had to write a some kind of longer essay dealing with a sequence of lessons that you taught. And I decided to do this in English in, in, in a year 10 class. And it uh, the book dealt with science fiction stories. So we did that. And kind of, you know, I hit a wall. I didn't know how to continue this. And of course, I was also kind of, well, it was stressful. And I, I really didn't know how to make this interesting enough for the people that were to to grade it. And then I thought, hmm, how can I bring Star Trek into this? And I think there was some kind of exercise in the book that dealt with NASA. And I knew that Michael Kuda designed some of the mission patches for NASA. And I asked him if my students were to design a new NASA logo and write a short text in English, why they chose this and why they chose the colors. Would you be able to well, take a look at it and pick a winner? He said, oh, sure, no problem. And and he did that. And for every single entry from my students, he, you know, he wrote a comment and told them what he liked about the design. And so that was just the kind of thing you can imagine somebody doing. And it was, you know, it kind of, because I knew suddenly there was a Star Trek twist to, to what I had to do, what, what was causing me so much worries. And then everything was easy all of a sudden. So um, he had me with that and there was a winning entry. And uh, that was really, that was super kind and nice uh, of him. And that made everything better for me at that point. So, yeah, I've been in contact with many of them for uh, for many years now I, I did a um trip to los angeles actually two trips to los angeles about 10 or 11 years ago where i went to all the filming locations well saw where you know vasquez rocks where kirk fought the gorn or starfleet academy and all kinds of places where they filmed star trek back then i was in regular contact with doug drexler because i think he still had his blog Sometimes I sent him screenshots of the things he was writing about, you know, actual screenshots from the episodes. So we also kind of became online friends. And when I was in Los Angeles, he invited me to his place. You know, his wife, uh, the late, great Dorothy Duda, she made uh, iced tea, the best iced tea I've ever tried in my whole life. And we had that. I met his uh, his parrot, um, Bika. So that was cool. And then he, uh, he took me on the, uh, was it when Universal Studios set, I think, you know, where they filmed... Uh, the Psycho House and Jaws, yeah, where, where they had this Jaws attraction. I think that that is what it was. And gave me a background tour of the place so I could see behind the buildings and see everything there. And of course, they filmed Fairhaven and St. Clair in Killing Game there. So that was really awesome going there. So yeah, they've been the people that work on Star Trek. They've been the nicest people you can imagine to me, just a regular fan. Um, also, Dave Blass, who is kind of my contact at Star Trek Picard. He's the best. They are all the best. Really, really kind, nice people. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I have to tell you another story. If you have time, I can tell you another story about that trip. Because um, my friends, you know, I'm lucky that all my friends are also Trekkies. My closest friends are Trekkies like me. And uh, they were making jokes about me making articles at Memory Alpha about very obscure things. And uh, I think at that point, I had added screenshots and also appearances to the Iguana league one yeah so iguana article at memory alpha and i you know proud as i was i told them you know today i created or I edited the iguana article and they were like oh, goodness what crazy things are you doing what happens next are you going to write an article on plumbing in fairhaven so okay i said uh, okay yeah well ha 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 and never thought about it again but then when i wa was on the set uh, where they filmed fairhaven there were some tubes uh, some you know sticking out of the ground and i took this photo of me standing next to them and said yep now i have all the research i need for plumbing uh on uh, in fairhaven so <laughs> it's a nice combination of working mem uh, on memory alpha and visiting the sets and also my friends and their sense of humor what, what question did you ask one of them uh, that uh, was then finally answered okay so with michael kuda the great thing was that um, when TOS was remastered. I, you know, I was in contact with him and um, they introduced some starships or new shuttles uh, in the background. And I asked him, you know, if he could give us some additional information that we could use at Memory Alpha, some names or registries of ships. So that was really great that, you know, because this directly 
went into memory alpha and still is there. For example, in court martial, um, the intrepid is seen, which was never seen there in the original episode because later it gets destroyed with all the Vulcans aboard. And, you know, he, he gave me that extra information and I was so happy because I knew um, it's not just for me personally because, you know, it ends up in memory alpha. Everybody knows that now. So that was a cool thing. Another thing, another question that finally was answered after so many years was in um, Conspiracy on Ditalix B. There is a cargo crate that featured some kind of emblem or logo. And I had always wondered, what is that? It's so dark in that scene, also in the remastering, that you really cannot see what is happening there. And, uh, you know, you, you just know there's a cargo crate and there's some logo. And I always pictured this must be for the Ditalics is it Ditalix Mining Company or something? It must be, there must be something. And I was talking to Rick Sternbach about something completely different and said, oh, by the way, do you have any idea what might have been on this cargo crate? And it turned out that he had designed that logo. He went into his garage and found the original sketch. And also he remembered what color it was printed on. He sent that to me. And then I was finally able to solve my personal riddle, what this logo was all about. I worked together with Brad Wilder at uh, Star Trek let me think, Star Trek Design. There are two, two Star Trek sites I work with, Star Trek Design and Star Trek Design Project, right? Star Trek Design deals with reused um, chairs, uh, furniture, glasses, glassware. And Star Trek Design Project deals with all the logos and alien emblems that you see in episodes. And I work together with him because I really suck at drawing things, but he doesn't. And he, you know, based on the information we got from Rick, he was able to recreate the logo and if you look it out it's it's there and you know that was a big really small thing but a big thing i was uh, pondering uh, about and wanted to know what is this and you know rick sternbach was able to answer that thankfully <laughs> so those Impressive, small things yeah. it's not big things it's small tiny things but if you only focus on stuff in the background I mean, those are the things that interest you, I guess. Yeah, yeah. for me, it was always um, making sense out of the universe, Star Trek, uh, the movies, the first movie, and even more so in the, in the second movie. And yeah. for, because you get the impression they didn't know what to do. But once you find out the system, information is really hard to track down there. Um, there are things that really interest, interest me. And there are things that I couldn't care about less. And that is uniforms and starship length. I don't care. I don't, it, it doesn't matter to me. People always ask me, oh, when are you going to write an, an, uh, a tweet on the uniforms in Star Trek Picard? And I said, it's not going to happen. It's not something that interests me. You have to find somebody else. <laughs> How did you come uh, to work on Star Trek Picard? 2020. I, um, I was contacted on Twitter by somebody I didn't know. And he was asking me some questions on, you know, where I knew all that stuff from and, uh, um, if I had ever in, in any um, way worked on the Star Trek production in an official way, and I just, you know, replied in a friendly way, said, no, I had, I'd helped here and there for some books and helped with a little research, but never anything uh, official. Then I was asked, would you, would you consider signing an NDA for, uh, for, you know, if you ever should work on something like Star Trek? I said, yeah, well, absolutely, I could do that. And when I read NDA, I, I think I had no idea what an NDA was, so I had to look it up. And uh, then I realized, hmm, who's that guy? And then I Googled his name and found a Wikipedia article, and it was Dave Blass. And I signed the NDA one day later, and then I got the first research requests and started working. So, so they really I, gave you information, okay, we need information about different types of beer, and you then, okay? So I didn't, I didn't really get any uh, script information. And, you know, it, it was always very, very obscure, but which is the good thing. Which is fun because now I finally realize, uh, you know, how all the puzzle pieces fit together. So, you know, I got, you know, re I had to do research on some things that could be seen in an alien bazaar or to write a 101 on Ferengi or um, so many things. I mean, if I just go back through my, uh, the, uh, the emails and the things, the stuff um, I put together, so many things that didn't end up in the episode episodes also. But uh, anything. So I, I did research on which plants I used in Starship crew quarters. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had the screenshots and then I used some programs mm -hmm. to identify the plants because I had no idea what plants they were and put that together. All those fun things that I know later when the episodes would be shown, I would take a look at and, you know, try to find out what is that or does it make sense or has this been seen before? So 
I did what I always do, just in an official capacity for Star Trek and not just for my own pleasure. How would you do this? So you uh, talked about uh, screenshots. You already have these screenshots or you doing the screenshots on the DVDs uh, uh, on the fly? I have a screenshot database. So um, for okay. basically everything from TOS to, to the end of Enterprise. Okay. And if you tell me, oh, okay, Jörg, I want to know when in Star Trek were apples seen. I just type it. Apfel, it's in German, obviously, and then, mm -hmm. then gives me all the screenshots I took of apples on Star Trek. And then because I took the screenshots, how many years ago is that now? 20 years ago. It's mm -hmm. really low quality and it's not uh, HD. So when I do that, I take new screenshots to send to them because I want to have the, the best quality of screenshots. And um, yeah, that's how I do it. Do you want to tell me more about the technical details of your database? Is it uh, <laughs> some kind of uh, an Excel sheet or? Oh, it's just folders. Folders uh, and folders. Nothing oh, else. Okay. I'm really basic about those things, but as long yeah. as it works for me, you know, it works for me. It's just, I have for every episode, I have a folder. And then, uh, you know, the, uh, the, I don't know, the 26 episodes of TNG season one are in the TNG folder, then they are in the TNG folder. And uh, when I watched the episodes, I just, you know, took notes, as I still mm -hmm. do when I watch episodes, and mm -hmm. took screenshots of all the people, the aliens, the planets, planet surfaces, props, uh, starships, um, anything I found interesting in an episode, um, sometimes uniforms, or, or not uniforms, like, yeah, maybe uniforms, outfits, uh, aircast displays, uh, anything I found interesting. And it's all in this uh, episode folder, and they all end with the name of the episode so i can I find see yeah more easily and then i just type in whatever i want to find out so for uh -huh. example what i use all the time is um, some starship shots you know there are some famous starship scene um, in season three of star trek picard that we knew before and they are shown from a certain angle and if i want to find a very similar angle from uh, tng or one of the older star trek shows i just type in enterprise d uh, or voyager or excelsior and then i get like a thousand screenshots or something like that. And then I just go through them and find the right one. So I can have a, a good comparison defined. For example, I found a good one that I had to flip so it would work better. Mm -hmm. So that is what I can use my database for. But usually I don't use the old sc screenshots anymore because as I said, low quality, I have to take new ones um, using one of the streaming services or well, still the DVDs or Blu-rays. So. So when you start writing on an article, you actually have the theme already in hand and then revisit your screenshot database or how do you structure your writing articles? I mean, everything I write about is usually visual. So there, I always need screenshots. I think the only exception are the articles or the article I wrote about classical music on Star Trek. Of course, I had to listen to what I was writing about. I start by looking at my screenshots. And then I go through the episodes, usually in fast forward and take new screenshots. I read the scripts to find additional appearances of something. For example, I can tell you the next thing I plan to do, but I guess won't have time to do, is an article, well, actually two articles. One article about all uh, commercially available models that ended up being used on uh, Star Trek as like background decoration, not to make um, um, Starship models that are you know seen in external scenes, but really just um, as props on somebody's desk or somebody's table. I want to do that. And the other one I want to do is an article about all uh, logos or emblems that were originally designed by fans and in the end, uh, you know, made it into official Star Trek, um, well, ep episodes or films, basically. Yeah. So I would, what I would do is I would go through my screenshots and type in model and uh, get all um, images I have of models on somebody's desk and then take new screenshots. Then I get, uh, I would check memory alpha because I also have an article on that and look for more appearance, appearances that I might have forgotten. And the same with the, well, I can't do that with the, uh, the alien logos or the logos because, um, well, I could go, go through all my logo screenshots, but that would take too long. I would just, I, I think I know, um, many already. And then I would do some more research on the internet and find some more logos that were made by fans and used in the end. Then I would get, assemble new screenshots. Then I would start writing the article, preferably in English. Used to do this in German and uh, Bernd translated everything, but now I, you know, I can do things like that also in English and, um, send it to Bernd and wait for him to tomorrow or in two months or in 10 years, turn it into an article. <laughs> 
Okay, and for the memory alpha mm -hmm. articles, is there one special one, the one you're most interested in, the invested most of the time in? I think the classical music one, I really spend a lot of time on. You know, memory alpha mostly for me was adding images, not necessarily writing text. But I do think the one about classical music, which Bernd also ported to Ex Astro Scientia, is the one I spend most time on because, you know, some of the songs I knew because I had heard about them uh, or you know, heard them at school or I had them on CD already. Um, some I had to identify using some kind of, you know, programs that you can use uh, that identifies music. Sometimes I had to go through the subtitles of German or uh, French or some other languages because they had sometimes had the names uh, which were not found in the scripts. So that took a lot of time. And But in the end, you know, was a lot of fun also. And I wish there was a soundtrack release of all the classical music that uh, has ever been heard on Star Trek. I would totally buy that. Um, I, I mean, I don't mean the rec the exact recordings. I guess that would be impossible. But just the CD on uh, yeah the songs that you hear um, in the episodes and films. I would love that because I like listening to classical music. But, you know, all those songs have a second meaning because they remind you of, um, for example, Star Trek First Contact, Ballon Sonore. When you hear that, you know, I'm getting goosebumps just saying this, crazy. I'm going to watch First Contact for the first time in uh, two years, uh, in a few days. And, you know, the song was also used um, in Star Trek Picard when Worf first appears. So I would love that. And that one, that article really took uh, a long time to research and uh, to write about and also update when more episodes were shown that featured classical music. Yeah. Maybe that's a playlist on uh, Spotify already, the classical CD you're talking about, because nowadays you can have compilations of music in a track list. I should totally check that out. You're right. You know, this is in those ways very old-fashioned. I have everything on CD. I listen to music on CD and not on... I, I do have Spotify. Yeah, actually, I should check that out. You're very right. Yeah. <laughs> But you do don't have vinyls. Uh, no, no, never had. And uh, my family also, as far as I remember, never had a, uh, had a uh, record player. So, um, no, not yet. <laughs> Who knows? Probably topic change or di diving in a bit uh, di different direction. So uh, what do you think about the uh, decision in Memory Alpha that um, TAS is um, canon, the animated series? Um, Wonderful. Yeah. Do you think it um, has helped uh, bring shows like Lower Decks or Prodigy in, in there? And how, how did they all influence and um, or newer shows? I mean, you mean like making a canon on Memory Alpha or just uh, the animated series in general? So my um, impression is that at one point, really, canon was only um, the live action uh, series. But then Memory Alpha was there. And from my impression is that more and more people got to know about this part of the animated um, series. And now we have uh, two more animated series in the list, like the Lower Decks and Prodigy. How do you think that plays together where stuff that was previously only known in the original animated series now suddenly may have appeared in other episodes? Well, I love when whenever we see, for example, in, um, on Lower Decks, any alien that was originally introduced in the animated series. For me, This was always canon. So, uh, I mean, it was really hard to get uh, the animated series in Germany back um, back in the day. I think I do have it on video cassette somewhere. And when I watched it on German television, they always cut together um, two episodes and, I, I don't know, cut out 10, 10 minutes or so. So I recorded that also from Telefon for something that was horrible. But, you know, for me, it's always been canon. For me, it's like totally normal and nothing special. <laughs> That's how I okay. see it. Another thing that I remember from Memory Alpha is this uh, Propworks auction discussion about what is canon and uh, what is not. We suddenly had uh, access to the um, Picard family album, uh, for example, mm. and then people started putting in uh, stuff from there. What is the feeling about these things that appeared somewhere where that something appeared in the background? So yeah. how do you take this? I like that Memory Alpha says if it was seen in the background, even if you cannot read anything, but we now have better images of that. Uh, I love that because, I mean, I love that before that because I could finally decipher, properly decipher all the things that were put on the set. And now I like it even more, having kind of worked on the show, 
you know, I, I wrote some of the, or I helped write some of the um, uh, text that you see in season two in the NASA exhibition of Star Trek Picard. You know, there's Nomad and there are some other objects. And I, I helped write some of the text. And, you know, I'm happy that these things, if there are better images, are considered to be canon also. So I have absolutely no problem with that. I think that for the Picard family album, for example, I only would accept those pages. And I mean, you can take a look at which pages are open in Generations and Nemesis that were actually opened um, on screen. And the other pages, they can be put into background, um, uh, background information like we do now, I think. Um, but the ones that um, are actually seen should be just treated like any other. Uh, any other source we have on memory alpha. So I'm happy that we are doing this because I know there's so much additional information that otherwise we could not use. And I always find it great when when you see that some of the people writing the Star Trek episodes or doing research for um, you know for the things they want to put on screen, they use memory alpha obviously, and they sometimes use small details that only appear in those LCAS displays or something that you see in the background. That they could only find because it's on memory alpha and that is that makes these things even more canon and you know i i like that i love that mm. do you think the production stuff well now the production stuff has access to your um, knowledge but uh, do you think in the past um, when we saw an episode and uh, then something was stated or, or seen there oh, it would have been so easy if if they did uh, their research is there something that uh, bothers you where they didn't no. do their research Because I totally know they do their research and they use memory alpha all the time. Um, and also ex asla scientia. So because I, you know, I know how work they hard, uh, how hard they work and how much time is put into things and also how much I worked. And well, sometimes there is just no time to, to find everything. And, uh, that's, that's how the business goes basically. But I do know that they use the, the pages and I'm really happy about that. Because, um, you know, that makes things more authentic and they can mm. profit from all the research that has been done by the um, users of Memory Alpha and what yeah. we understand. And, and this is the situation now, but um, probably um, I was thinking about um, old shows like um, from the next generation DS9 or Voyager time where you thought, okay, mm, there's something completely different. I think they did the research. I mean, that, that is the thing that, for example, in, in, uh, on TNG, there is uh, when you first see De uh, Lore and Dr. Sung's lab, you see those, um, in the background, you see those stickers, I think white stickers with some red logo on them. And, uh, you're like, Oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting uh, emblem. And then only like years later, I discovered that the same emblem shows up again in Dr. Sung's lab, uh, on Terlina four, was it three in brothers? So. Don't underestimate those people. They know what they are doing. Absolutely know. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much for um, having this uh, talk in um, English uh, here with us about the Memory Alpha edition and your contribution to, uh, to it. My so, pleasure. Um, yeah. Thank you very much. No worries.